0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to The Bullpen. All right, in The Bullpen today, we have Miss Amanda Griffiths, commentator, Young Voices, PhD student concentrating on political theory and international relations with an emphasis on Machiavelli's political thought. That's interesting. Good to have you on the show. How are you? Wonderful to be
1: here. Thank you so much, Dr. Richie. I'm great. How about yourself?
0: I'm doing quite well. We're going to chop it up about the immunity claim that Trump and his attorneys are presenting, that will be decided at some point in the very near future. I don't want to presume what you know or believe about this claim of presidential immunity, so if you would give us your sentiment and I would then opine.
1: Absolutely. So what I am aware of is that historically speaking, we've seen the courts really want to, every time they're confronted with this issue, walk back or really narrow what constitutes or what qualifies for presidential immunity. Uh, That seems to me very apt because Uh, This really needs to be a very narrowly tailored concept. We obviously don't want to be having everything open for prosecution if someone undertakes a particular action while in office and it's necessary, but that should be very, very constrained. So I'm excited to see this question taken up in a more broad format, uh, not just with respect to uh, former President Trump, but also with respect to how this might uh, redound to future presidents as well so i'm I'm eager to see how this plays out.
0: Do you believe the genesis of the claim itself that basically says that the President of the United States, and this is one I, I would call it leg of the claim, that a president is basically legal until or unless successfully impeached. And so basically, anything that the President does is technically legal under the standards of the Constitution because, the way that you would deem an action illegal by a president is by way of impeachment. And so if they don't get successfully impeached, that means by default, their actions are legal. Do you believe in that sentiment?
1: I think that's a very dicey sentiment to hold personally. Yeah. Again, I'm one of those people who would like to see presidential powers constrained, generally speaking. I'd like to see most powers of official office uh, constrained. So this is something that I would think uh, should be grounds for discussion.
0: When the motion was filed, basically, we're talking about, okay, was Trump acting in his official capacity when he told people meet him at the Capitol? And uh, all right, so we're talking about particular actions, right? And so a judge gets to decide that. But in, in the overall scope, because this is going to be precedent setting, period, whatever the decision is. In the overall scope, how legitimate is a democracy? When we do, in fact, have special rules for the leader of the country, and those special rules create special immunity so that they cannot be prosecuted for crime. They already have significant immunity. Even members of Congress, it, whatever they say at the well, they can't be prosecuted for it in a civil court. They can say what they want to say about somebody, defame, etc. So they already have these protections that seem wholly unfair to many people. I fear that the more we create uh, special circumstances for the elected elite, in particular in America, the more us and them narrative exists. What say you?
1: I am in agreement with you there, and I think that generally speaking, it's not good for a democracy to be this way. You're very correct. I think that it would it it, it would exacerbate tensions between. Uh, voters and office holders feel like a double standard no matter where you stand on the political aisle and I'd especially like to see this applied to declarations of states of emergency for instance uh, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of leeway that's granted to office holders when they do declare a state of emergency and it should be grounds for questioning so no I don't believe that it's particularly legit- legitimate to hold a broad array of actions uh in the category of actions to which a president or, uh, or elected official in general is immune.
0: So let's talk about what may happen next. So let's say the Supreme Court rules uh, that no, there's no such thing as a blanket immunity for a president uh, that's completely out the door. But there's, there are these restrictions um, naturally that can be applied. And so they kind of split the baby, so to speak. But Trump is being prosecuted now. Uh, Trump is under prosecution by the federal government by multiple state jurisdictions. And here's the rub, all right? You're a political theory PhD student. According to the political reality, if you are a convicted felon, you cannot vote in most states, not while you serve, not while you serve that sentence. If Trump gets convicted of even one felony, how does he overcome the rule, the ballot rule that says, If you are currently a convicted felon still serving your sentence on parole, probation or otherwise, you cannot vote. You cannot run for a political political office. You cannot hold a position of public trust. How does he then overcome that constitutionally under a conviction scenario?
1: It's a sticky question. And I think one way that his team could possibly try to work around it is say, "Oh, we'll have him on the ballot as a write-in. Even there though, that's really taking a risk. And you have a lot of states who are gonna have that discretion, be able to say, no, we don't want you on the ballot. And now we have grounds for omitting you from the ballot. So it's gonna be tough. It'll be really tough for his team. And uh, he seems to be switching out various numbers of his team of late, yeah. So I'm not sure if he's gonna be able to retain good counsel on this.
0: Yeah, I do think some states are going to obviously take advantage of their ability, their right to dismiss a presidential contender. Unfortunately, this is a very different political public atmosphere. It has happened before the last time a general a general election standard removed a presidential contender was Abraham Lincoln. Uh, And then actually that was a catalyst to the Civil War uh, that started. But it proved one concept, states do have the right to do this under particular circumstances. Generally speaking, um, and this is one of those nuances of America where we have a national election, but it is state orchestrated. And state governed and state implemented, right? We, which Democrats, some Democrats have argued, we need to have a more uniform policies. Republicans have said, nope, we want to keep it as a state dynamic. Well, this is one of the challenges you run into, where states have the authority based on constitutional, based on the court's interpretation of the constitution previously. So is this healthy for democracy, unhealthy for democracy moving forward?
1: Uh, just the general question of whether these are decided by the states or yep. whether it's I'm more of a federalist fan, so or a federalism fan. So I would prefer to have this be a question that states can decide individually. I acknowledge that there's going to be tension there. If you have some states where a, president, a presidential candidate is on the ballot and other states where a presidential candidate is not, uh, this is a common issue with third parties, with which I'm very familiar. So I, I prefer to have it left to states and to the people that inhabit them for the most part.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I would have said that a little while ago, dear sister. but. Some of these states have been so extreme in their decisions. I don't know anymore. I think there's some wisdom to a uniform policy, but at least it should be open for discussion. Uh, good luck to you in your PhD status. How far are you along now?
1: I'm about my third year now, so we're oh, we're, we're plugging along, yeah.
0: Plugging along. All right, good luck. We hope to have you back very soon. Thank you for being Love on
1: Love to, the Dr. Show. Richie, thank you.